Good to, good to have you here. Uh, I have a confession to make. Sometimes I don't make very good decisions. Oftentimes that coincides when my wife isn't around. And so Friday night was okay. Uh, in-laws invited me over for dinner, had some deer steak, uh, whatever. You know, that was, that was exciting. And then Saturday was good. I came to the office, worked on the message most of the day. Saturday night was the problem. What am I going to do? What am I going to eat? That was the big problem. So, headed off to the store and <laughs> got a pizza to put in the oven and a half gallon ice cream. <laughs> and that, that's, that was that was my decision. You know, not not good. Life is full of decisions, right? Different paths to take, different roads to choose from. Some small decisions, medium size, some big, and, and then there are those huge. Decisions. Some are pretty straightforward, and some just boggle the mind, right? There are times when we're not sure what to do, where to go. Right now in my life, I don't have any huge mind-boggling decisions to make, but every day I'm faced with many small, medium, even sometimes big decisions, many of which are part of my job as being the pastor of the, the church here. What kind of Marketing, that's not even a good word. If any, should we do in our community? What ministries should we be involved in? Who do I want to speak at our missions conference this summer? Been thinking about that. What are the best ways to reach out in, in this community? And in this current sermon series that we're doing, every week I have to look at what we've been reading that week. We're, if, you're, if you're a visitor, we're reading through the Bible, and each week I, I choose a passage from that week's reading and uh, preach from that passage. And so that's a decision every, every week. And that's sometimes mind-boggling. Now, fortunately, I don't have to make all these decisions alone. I have input from staff and from elders, from the congregation, and of course, my wife, she helps. But this is the point. In my life, decisions have to be made. And I am not unique. Well, in some ways I'm unique, but in this I'm, I'm not unique. We all face decisions. And for most of us, the fact that we're sitting here on Sunday morning, we've chosen to come to church, says that we want to make godly decisions, right? Who wants to make godly, God-guided decisions in their lives? Amen. All right. Well, you've come to the right place this morning. Because in our passage for today, Psalm 25, one of the psalms we've been reading through in our reading, we find the psalmist David in need of God's guidance. And we also find what I believe are some some helpful insights into getting God's guidance for our own lives. So let's begin by by reading the entire psalm. It's 22 verses, it's a little long, and what I want to pay attention to especially as I read through this, is what's David's situation? What's he facing? We'll look at that. And then what is he asking? What is he doing because of this situation? Now, the psalm is interesting. It's it's kind of hard to analyze. It's a little mixed up here and there because it's actually, in the Hebrew, it's an acrostic. Every verse starts with a, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. There's a couple, it's not totally like that, but that's, that's clearly the intent here. So it's not like straightforward. It's a little mixed up, but I think we get the point, okay? So let's read it, and then we'll look at it. David's, David writes, uh, beginning in verse 1, "...to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. This is the heart of the psalm right there, verse 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. He leads the humble. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for, they, for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him, who, him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all its troubles. Now this morning I want to look at two things, as I said, from this psalm. We'll spend most of our time looking at how God gives guidance from this psalm. But first I want to look at the need for God's guidance, the need for God's guidance. When do we need God's guidance? All the time. Amen. In every aspect of our lives. It should be a common practice for Christians to seek to know and to do the will of God. But there are times, there are times when our need becomes more pressing, right? David was in the midst of one of those times when he wrote Psalm 25. We're not sure of the exact circumstances, but he was clearly in some trouble, some distress. Psalm 25 is known as a psalm of lament. David is lamenting. He's crying out to God for help. In this case, he's crying out for guidance in the midst of his difficult circumstances. He desperately needs to know God's ways, God's paths, God's truths, God's instruction. Why? Because he's struggling with issues, with stuff in his life. Issues that, that when faced, call for God's guidance to navigate you through. And the issues David was facing are issues that we face as well. Maybe not the same circumstances, but the same issues. And therefore, like David, we need God's guidance. We need God's guidance first when we're afraid. When we're afraid. David is afraid in se- for several reasons. Verse 2, oh, oh my God, I trust in Thee. Let not me be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. David's enemies want to put him to shame. Exult over him. Sort of stand over him and say, you suck, David. If I can say that. You, you stink. 
You're terrible. You're a terrible king. So he's afraid that he's going to lose his reputation. Some think this is after, this is written after his sin with Bathsheba, and maybe there's right for him to, uh, some reasons for him to lose his reputation. But even more than his reputation, David is afraid because his life is in danger. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. David has enemies and foes who hate him and want violence, uh, want to do violence to him. And he's afraid. He's not sure what to do. He's at a loss. He needs God's guidance. And when we're afraid, when we're afraid for any reason, when our minds are telling us to turn and run and hide, we need God's guidance. Maybe you're afraid to, to, maybe you know somebody in your life that needs the Lord and you're afraid to share your faith with them, to tell someone you know what you know about Jesus. Maybe you're afraid you'll lose your reputation. Really? You believe in that stuff? This morning on the way to church, I was reading to sports. I wasn't reading anything because I'm driving. <laughs> I was listening to sports talk radio. One of my favorite pastimes. I can't remember what they were talking about, but some soccer game. Why did you talk soccer? That's crazy. But anyways, it was, I guess, right now or recently there was Manchester United is playing some really underdog team, and it's a tie, and that person said this would be the greatest upset in all of sports history. And the other guy, maybe human history, and the other guy says, well, what about David and Goliath? And the other person goes, well... We're not even sure if that's real. Maybe that's probably a myth, right? That's what people think out there. The things we believe, maybe they're just myths. And so we're afraid we'll lose our our reputation. You really believe that? And you need guidance. You need guidance in the best way to approach, and the best way to share with them. When we're afraid, we need God's guidance. And second, when we're lonely, we need God's guidance. Verse 16, turn thou to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. For whatever reason, David finds himself alone and afflicted. Maybe those go together. I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. No one to turn to, no one to bear his soul to, to share his problems with, no faithful counselors by his side. He needs more than ever God's guidance. When others forsake us, When we're alone and afflicted, we need God's guidance. Also, we need God's guidance when we are guilty. When we're guilty. At least three times David mentions his struggles with guilt because of sin. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11, for my name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David remembers the sins of his youth. He admits that even now he's guilty of sin. He's a sinner. So in the middle of all his fear and his loneliness, the trouble is worsened by the guilt in his heart, his sinful heart. David is plagued by his own sin, and he needs God's guidance to overcome, to navigate through this. And when we suffer from from guilt, from our own sin, we need God's guidance to overcome to set us really on a new path, to direct us in the right ways, in the righteous ways of the Lord. Sometimes we just don't know. We find ourselves down some path and it's like, uh, what am I doing here? We need to pray, Lord, guide me in the right things to do, the right way to respond, the right way to escape 
the sin that so easily besets me. We need God's guidance when we're guilty. And finally, we need God's guidance maybe, maybe most of all when we're confused. When you're afraid and lonely and guilty, it's not unusual to become confused about life, to become stressed out. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. David feels in trouble in his heart and the pain is growing. He's distressed. It's really stressed out because he doesn't know what to do. He's confused. What is the will of God here? Where should I go? What should I do? No path seems right. David was afraid. He was alone. He was guilty and he was confused. He, and, and probably some other things. I'm just, we're just going to go with those four. He desperately, though, needed God's guidance. And in Psalm 25, David, in this difficult circumstance, cries out to God. And by examining David's cries, his words, his prayers, we can understand, I believe, how God gives guidance, or how does God give guidance is really the question we want to ask. Now, some might say that God gives guidance through dreams or visions or a a voice in your head or that God will give you some kind of miracle some kind of sign pointing the way and I would never dare to say that God has not or does not work in these amazing ways he can but I think I can say that these are not the normal way God's the standard way God gives guidance in scripture these seem to be reserved for unique times Special circumstances. And in fact, there's no record that David, the author of the Psalms, many of the Psalms, this Psalm, the king of Israel, man after God's own heart, ever received guidance from the Lord in a dream or a a vision. Now, others did. So how did God guide David's life? And more importantly, at least for us, how does God guide our lives normally? Now, before we get to Psalm 25... Let me just briefly mention two ways that God gives guidance that the psalm doesn't really focus on. David does focus in other places on this. First and foremost, we need to know that God guides through His Word. God guides through... This is first and foremost. If you want God's guidance in your life, then read... We talked about this last week. As we equip our next gener- the next generation, we need to read the Bible with them, study the Bible with them, memorize. And this is true uh, in this. If we want to re- know God's will, read, study, memorize His Word, know His Word. This is where we find direct commands, teaching, instructions on how to live this life. David wrote in Psalm 119.105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Through His Word, through God's Word, God gives guidance for our lives. And even though we're not going to spend any more time on on this aspect, I want you to know uh, that this is the most important and foundational way to receive guidance from the Lord. In seeking God's guidance, we must never ignore the clear guidance provided by His Word. It's our first stop. It's our first place we go in discerning God's will for our lives. Okay? All right. Then the second way God gives guidance, not mentioned here, but is through uh, human counsel. We see this mainly taught in the Proverbs, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the in an abundance of counselors there is safety. 
God can use people in our lives to give counsel, guidance. I've received great guidance from many people throughout, throughout my life. However, the problem with uh, human counsel is we need to choose the right humans to get counsel from, right? In a sense, we need God's guidance to direct us to the right human counselors. So we have those two ways that God guides. Through the Bible, which is the first place we should go for guidance, and through counsel of others, which we need to be discerning about. But what about situations where the Word of God is silent? No direct commands, no specific teaching, not a sin or not a sin, just guidance in our life. And and human counselors are unavailable or unreliable or maybe even contradictory. I mean, what, what if you're Chad? Where's Chad? Chad's up there. What if you're Chad, our worship pastor, and, and some people are, are guiding you saying, we need to, Chad, we really need to sing more hymns. Those are, those are of God, the hymns. And some people are saying, Chad, we really need to sing more new contemporary songs. What do you do? What does Chad do? I believe the Bible in, includes... The Bible, including what we, what we read in Psalm 25, teaches that in absence of the clear guidance of God's Word, the normal way God guides is through a renewed mind. Through a renewed mind. This is what the Apostle Paul specifically says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed. This is the other key text for this morning. We're, we're doing the Psalm, and then we're adding Romans 12, 2 to sort of Complement it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, don't do what the world does. Don't just follow after the world. Don't be conformed to them. When you want to know how a decision, don't look around and go, what's the world doing? That's what I'm going to do. That's just stupid. But instead, be transformed by God. And and that transformation takes place when God, through His Word, again, the Word is key here in the transformation process, and through His Spirit, the Spirit we're given when we trust in Christ, through His Word and through His Spirit, renews your mind. That word mind in the Greek basically refers to the part of you that thinks and it reasons and understands and it, there's where your decisions come from. And it includes your heart, your feelings, okay? It's not your mind as opposed to your heart. It's not your, your, your thinking as opposed to your feeling. It's your mind informed by your heart. It's all of you. And it's when our minds are transformed renewed by God, that we're able to discern His will. We're able to understand where He wants us to go. Because when God renews our minds, it's in effect, He's sinking our minds with His mind. We know this word sinking, right? Uh, You know, when you sink your music, your songs, your playlist, from your computer to your phone or to your iPod. Do we have iPods anymore? I don't know. The music that's on your computer is sort of copied over, transferred to your iPod, to your music device. It becomes 
it becomes like the computer in that it can play the same songs, right? And in a similar but much greater way, when our minds are renewed by God, we become like Him. We can, we can, we can know and we can play the same songs that He does. We have the mind of Christ. So when we face decisions with a renewed mind, we're able to discern, even to sense, the best direction to take. Because God has given us an understanding of who He is and what He desires. He's putting His mind into our mind. And what this means is seeking God's guidance is not primarily seeking a specific message in this specific situation from Him. Seeking God's guidance is really seeking to have your mind, yourself, who you are, transformed and renewed by Him. Seeking God's guidance is really seeking God. Seeking to be like God, to be transformed by God. When we know God, we know God's will, is what Paul is saying. So what does that look like? Well, it's, it's, not, it's not, it doesn't look like praying this. Lord, I, I've been offered a new job, and I'm not sure what to do. Should I keep my current job or take this new job? Please give me a sign. You know, tonight, I need a special dream or a vision so that I can know what to do. Instead, seeking God's guidance looks like what David prays in Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Again, the heart of this psalm, David prays, Make me to know your paths, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. David is not asking God to tell him exactly what to do to give him a vision about a specific situation. He's asking God, in effect, to renew his mind so that he'll know the ways and the paths and the truths of the Lord. He wants God to change the way he thinks, to renew his mind so that he can know God and therefore know God's guidance in his life. So back to the job illustration. If your mind is being renewed by God, then you can evaluate from God's perspective which job you should take. Is it all about the money? Is it about providing for your family? Is there something uh, to do with loyalty to your current employer? Which job would enable you to have the most ministry potential? Those things all come into play. God will guide you through your renewed mind. And I believe God will eventually lead you to do what He wants you to do through knowing what you want to do if you have that renewed mind, if you've sunk up with His mind. John Piper puts it this way, Divine guidance is not the quest for messages, but the quest for holiness. Guidance is the product not of ecstatic heights, but of spiritual depth. Guidance comes to those who are on the process of syncing up with God. They're becoming more holy because He's holy. And they're growing in in depth, uh, in their depth, in their relationship with Him. It's really about your relationship with God. Guidance comes to those who are in relationship with God, knowing Him and therefore knowing His will for your life. And that's what we see throughout Psalm 25. We see a quest not for a a specific message, but a quest for holiness. We see not ecstatic heights, 
visions or dreams, but a, a spiritual depth. We see uh, the marks of what a renewed mind looks like or someone's seeking to have a renewed mind. I believe Psalm 25 contains the marks of a renewed mind. And that first mark I, I see is, is trust. Trust. A trusting mind. Reminder that mind isn't just in your head. Mind is all of you. Your heart and your feeling. I think God, God gives you uh, what does Psalm 37.4 say. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. doesn't mean He'll give you everything you desire. It means He'll place His desires in your heart. He'll sync up with you when you're delighting in Him. So a trusting mind. David in, in Psalm 25 was not sure about the will of God in, in certain situations and what he was facing. But he with all his heart trusted God. He opens the psalm with these words. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Trust is seen throughout the psalm. Lord, I know you've got my back. And God's will, He doesn't want to make it some mystery to you. I can trust you. Why? Because God has proven Himself trustworthy. We can trust in God because He's trustworthy uh, throughout the psalm. Verse 6, David says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. David trusted the Lord because he knew God was merciful and loving. Verse 7 and 8, he says, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. David trusted in the Lord because he knew God was forgiving and loving and good. He knew God, he knew God and we got to know this. we got to know that God wants what's best for us. God wants what's best for us in all circumstances. And that doesn't always mean that our circumstances are going to be what we want them to be. But it does mean God is always working in our circumstances for our best. He knew, David knew, that God's forgiveness and goodness enables him to give instruction, guidance, even to sinners like him and like us. We're not disqualified from guidance because we sin. More on that later. Trusting in God is so important if we want to receive guidance from God. This is made especially clear by David's son, Solomon. Proverbs 3 5 and 6, great verse to memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Or as the King James puts it, He will direct your paths. Notice that Solomon says, you must trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and not lean on your own understanding. You have to trust the Lord more than you trust you. If you want God's guidance, you have to trust the Lord more than you trust yourself. Part of trusting the Lord, part of having a renewed trusting mind is humility. David says in verse 9, He leads the humble in in what is right. He teaches the humble His ways. Doesn't that just make sense? That humility... Trust in God over trust in self is required to receive guidance from the Lord. Because if, if you're not humble, if you're not willing to admit your sinfulness and your helplessness, 
that you don't have all the answers, then why would you trust in God's guidance? Why, you know, uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but God's guidance isn't optional. Why would he give you guidance when you're just going to evaluate, well, I think mine is better than yours, I'm going with mine. Humility is a prerequisite for the renewed, trusting mind. David, in humility, trusted in a loving, forgiving God. And that trust in God leads him to seek guidance from God. That's our second mark of a renewed mind. A renewed mind is a seeking mind. And by seeking, I mean seeking the Lord mind. Seeking to know the Lord. Seeking to be transformed by the Lord. Seeking guidance from the Lord. Seeking the Lord results in speaking to the Lord. In praying. In crying out. In even lamenting in this psalm. And again, verses 4 and 5, David seeks, David prays, make me know your ways. Change me so your ways are my ways. Oh Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in the truth and teach me. For you are, my, are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. David comes to God with his fear and his loneliness and his guilt, his confusion, and he pleads, he cries out with, to God to give him guidance. To take away his confusion, to renew his mind, to sync up with God so that he'll know God's paths and God's ways and God's truth. Now you might be thinking, of course that's what you do when when you're afraid and lonely and guilty and confused about God's will for your future. You seek God, you pray. But so often, so often, when faced with difficulty, when faced with uh, uh, with fears, when faced with a decision, we just forget about God. We just move on. We don't look at His Word. We don't seek godly counsel. We don't go to Him in prayer. We don't ask for a renewed mind. Instead, we just do what the world does. We're conformed to the world. What's everybody else doing? That's what I'm going to do. We look to the world. We look to ourselves to make decisions. Now, this may be stating the obvious. Sometimes we have to do that. But if you want God's guidance, serious, if you want God's guidance, then you have to seek it. You have to ask for it. You have to pray for it. James wrote, you do not have because you do not ask. And Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. A renewed mind seeks and asks and knocks and receives from the Lord. Trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord, and receiving guidance from the Lord. But one more thing about seeking. Maybe you noticed it several places in the psalm. Sometimes, sometimes, for our own good, because God is good and we trust in Him, God calls us to seek over a longer period of time. Over a long period of time. Sometimes the guidance doesn't come right away. In fact, often it doesn't come right away. Sometimes God does not lift the confusion. And when that's the case, what should we do? David's answer in several places, verse 21, May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. I wait for you. Think back in verse uh, 5, he said the same thing. I will wait for you. He's going to wait. Teach me your paths and your ways and instruct me, but I'll wait for you. 
There's an element of patience, of trust that leads to waiting in the Lord. I will not give up. I'll persevere. I'll wait for your guidance. God's guidance is worth seeking and it's worth waiting for. Don't get frustrated when it doesn't come on your timetable. Keep trusting. Keep seeking. I, I think we often get, uh, don't get the guidance that we're after from God because we don't wait. We're not willing to continue seeking. We give it a shot, a day, a prayer. Nothing comes. I don't have any sense. I'm just going to do what the world, myself, wants. Don't do that. Wait for the Lord. Seek the Lord and wait for the Lord. Now we come to our third and final mark of a renewed mind. And this is really where the rubber hits the road, okay? A renewed mind is an obeying mind. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. For those... Listen, all the paths, all, all, all the guidance of the Lord is steadfast. It's good. It's steadfast love. It's faithfulness. His guidance is good for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. To keep God's covenant and testimonies means to obey the Lord. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. We've already seen that God instructs sinners. So what does it mean to keep God's covenant as testimonies? What does it mean to obey the Lord? I think we find the answer in the next two verses. Verse 11, David says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. First, keeping God's covenant means that when you sin, you go to God and you ask forgiveness. Pardon my guilt, Lord, for it is great. You admit your sin and you go to God seeking forgiveness. David continues, For it is the man who fears the Lord. Him will he instruct in the way that he should go. It's the man who fears the Lord who will instruct in the way he should choose. You want to know God's guidance? Fear the Lord. What does it mean? fear the Lord. It means that you know who God is and there's a sense of awe and reverence and wonder toward His holiness, towards a holy God. And because of that, you're afraid. You're afraid to sin against Him. To sin against His awesome holiness. This God we have. And when we do sin... It means you fear to not go to Him and confess and ask for forgiveness. It means that you don't take God's love and His mercy and His forgiveness for granted. That you don't live a life of continual sinful rebellion against Him. That your life is characterized not by sinless perfection, but by obedience to the Lord. That you're growing in obedience to the Lord. That when necessary, confession, that when necessary, you, you confess and you repent of your sins. We need to understand that God's guidance is reserved for those who follow where He guides. Do we get that? God's guidance is for those who follow where He guides. Those who obey. Imagine a man seeking God's guidance in a specific situation. Lord, please help me. Uh, Should I marry Joan or Jane? I'm so confused. They both have great 
great qualities. Lord, guide me. But at the same time, the same man, he's seeking God's guidance in who to marry, but he continues in certain sinful practices in his life. He's not maintaining, let's say, sexual purity in these relationships. He's ignoring God's clear guidance and commands in His Word. But he still wants God to guide him in this situation. That the word isn't the word that there's no verse in the Bible that says uh, Mary Jane or Mary Jane. No, just kidding. Jim married Jane, but some people aren't guided to me. There's no clear direction in who exactly to marry. There's some principles. So he's seeking who to marry, but he's disobeying the Lord's clear direction. And that's crazy. God will not give guidance to those who are following the guidance, who aren't following the guidance He's already given them. He gives guidance to those who listen to Him and who obey Him in all matters of life. In fact, we need to understand something about God's guidance for our lives. It's not like other kinds of guidance, okay? I mean, we get guidance... uh, I get guidance a lot of times from uh, Google Maps, right? It's giving me guidance. I've got it sitting there. It's, it's telling me to, to go straight or to turn left or right, and the light's red, and I have to ignore the guidance for the, for the time being. And sometimes it guides me to the wrong place. Sometimes it can't find. Sometimes I know a better way than Google Maps because I live in Riverside or something. So I it's, it, Google Maps is sort of optional guidance. But God's guidance, receiving And obeying God's guidance is not optional. It's not optional for anyone, but certainly it's not optional for those who call themselves Christians. In fact, to be a Christian means you're following God's guidance. John Piper illustrates it this way. Suppose Jesus walked through the door and came up to you and said, Hello, my name is Jesus. I'm the Son of God. And I came into the world to save sinners and give them complete happiness and everlasting life. By my death and resurrection, I have atoned for sin. And by my wisdom and knowledge, I can guide you into choices that will bring you the greatest joy in your life. Will you trust and obey me? And suppose you said, well, I do want to be happy. I like, I like the idea of having my sins forgiven. I certainly don't want to go to hell, but I've looked over some of your guidance uh, for the good life, and I, and I just don't agree with, with some of your ideas. I don't, I don't think you have the, the mar- market cornered on how I can be happiest. So I accept your forgiveness now, and I really appreciate it, but I think I'll go with my own thoughts on how to live. How would that go over? Sounds kind of silly, but that's exactly what we're doing when we don't trust and seek and obey the guidance of the Lord. It's amazing thing how many people consider themselves Christians, but disregard the Lord's guidance, the guidance of Christ. You cannot be saved from sin by Christ if you reject the guidance of Christ. Piper goes on to say, Christ is an authoritative advisor as well as an atoning savior. So if we try to receive Him as an atoning Savior and reject Him as an authoritative advisor, all we receive is an imaginary Christ while rejecting the Christ of the Bible. 
Therefore, we must trust and seek and obey God's, Christ's guidance in every area of our lives. This includes the small and the medium and the big and the huge decisions. What you watch on TV, Christ has some guidance for you for that. You might not think that, but he does. What movies you go to, Christ has some guidance for you there. What job you take, whom you marry or whether you marry, how you spend your leisure time, Christ cares about that. What to major in in college, where to live, what kind of car to drive, how much to eat or not eat, how to dress, even how to pray and how to read the Bible, how to give, how to serve in your church. And to quote the King of Siam, etc., etc., etc. So many things we need to take to the Lord. Christ, your Savior and Lord, is concerned with every area of your life. He knows what is best for you in every area of your life. He has good guidance for every area of your life. And so today, so today we, as we come to the, the, the Lord's table together, I would ask that, that you not only remember His sacrificial death on the cross, His broken body, His spilled blood for you, not only remember that Jesus is the atoning Savior, but also remember that Jesus is the authoritative advisor. He guides us through His Word and through our mind that is renewed by His Word and His Spirit So as we remember His sacrifice, let us commit to trusting and seeking and obeying His guidance in our lives. Let us commit to to knowing Him that we might know His will. Would the the worship team and the ushers uh, come forward now? Let me just pray. Father God, I just pray for us. I pray that we would trust in you, we would seek you, we would obey you. Lord, that we we would know that you have good guidance for our lives. Lord, you, you want what's best for us. We would trust that. And we would seek what's best for our lives in you, Lord, in you alone. Lord, and that when you do give us that guidance, give us the, the, the power through your Spirit to obey, to do what you've guided us to do, Father. Just thank you, Lord. Just be with us now as we, as we uh, remember you. Remember the atoning sacrifice, and we trust in you as our authoritative advisor, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just a couple reminders. Uh, communion, the Lord's table, is, is for those who have trusted in the Lord in their lives, for believers. Everyone is welcome to come to the service, but, but if, if you're not a believer, then just uh, let the communion uh, pass by. As we're, we're going to sing a song and as we're distributing the elements, just, just take this time to do some of the things we've talked about, to come to the Lord, maybe in confession and repentance. Maybe you have some things in your heart that, that you need guidance from. Trust in Him that he'll, he'll bring that guidance. Let's sing as we distribute the elements.